Welcome to the Cloud Computing Show, episode number 46. I am here with Alex Bard, the CEO of Assistly. Hi, Alex. Hi, Gary. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us. My name is Gary Ornstein, host of the Cloud Computing Show. We'll jump right into the industry news. Just two big announcements that I wanted to cover. Uh, one was Amazon al- announcing their Elastic Beanstalk service, which is really a platform as a service offering that I think probably incorporates a little bit more seamlessly a lot of the features that Amazon has been making available over the last couple of years. It seems like every month they're adding some new feature, new service, and, and maybe this is just a way to bundle them all together. Alex, I know that you guys, you're as a cloud service, you use Amazon or somebody similar. Have you used Beanstalk yet? or? We haven't yet. We use Amazon, and mm-hmm. they've actually been really great. They reach out to us. They share with us some of their roadmap and the things that they're doing. So mm-hmm. it's been excellent to see their evolution. They're, they're a great company to work with. So yeah. we haven't used Beanstalk yet. It's pretty new, yeah. so you, you guys set it up beforehand. You know, there's been always this talk about will the infrastructure providers move up the stack to, to platform as a service and soft. It seems inevitable at this point, certainly with the way Amazon is going. Of course, and then uh, with Salesforce buying Heroku, I mean, it's like the gloves are coming coming off here with a fight. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. And uh, I certainly enjoy Amazon's um, naming. Elastic Beanstalk is a great name, so good for them. The other big announcement in the cloud computing world was Verizon buying Terramark. Did you see this announcement? What, I did. what was your thoughts from a big picture perspective there? Um, you know, I haven't really had a chance to fully process it. Yeah. Um, I, the, the thing that I'm most excited about with Verizon is actually the iPhone coming to Verizon. <laughs> I don't know if Terramark's going to help them with their iPhone. But, you know, it, it's, it is interesting because Verizon has offered various pieces and parts of cloud services on their own, uh, probably through some technology partnerships that they had with other folks. But, you know, they just said, we're just going for it now. And, you know, they're going to have two or three offerings. Uh, Terramark, as far as I understand from the announcement, going to be operated as an independent subsidiary and of course the big question is what does that mean for Rackspace, what does that mean for Savvis, what does that mean for a host of other smaller cloud computing vendors I, I think that uh, 2011 is just getting started after seeing a couple of these things So, Generally competition is a good thing because it forces everybody to be more progressive and, and work harder to deliver yeah. a great service to the end consumer so yeah. you know, I think it's good news It'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, like AT&T counters with a purchase of another small cloud provider or Sprint, for that matter, making a comeback. Um, or improves their network. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, the one interesting thing I think about the um, telecom carriers is that they defined services offerings and then sort of got left by the wayside, probably because they were focusing on all the money available through mobile phones um, and sort of left cloud computing on the side. But now they're waking up and, and coming back into it. Well, let's jump into the guest Q&A. Again, we're here with Alex Bard, CEO of Assistly. And uh, just give us the one-liner about the company and what you do. Sure. So Assistly is a hosted customer support offering. It captures all the conversations that your customers have directly with you and all the conversations they're having about you and gives you one kind of unified inbox view of all of the customer dialogue that you need to respond to. Okay, great. And I want to dig into that more detail. But first, you and some of your co-founders have a really interesting background. Uh, that that goes back across multiple. Give us a little history about that because I think it really uh, just shows you know what's behind Assistly. Yeah, you bet. So there are four fa- four co-founders in this company. Three of us have worked together since 1996, and we've done every single company together. So this being the fourth, three out of the four in customer service and support, and one being kind of an anomaly, which was GUI Media, 
that was acquired by AOL. Uh, three of us also have been really good friends since junior high school. And so it's been this unbelievable journey to go through with friends. My entire professional career, I've effectively worked with friends. And the interesting thing about it, and, and, and it's worked out really well, is that uh, we have really complementary skill sets. So I'm kind of the, the CEO of the company, but our CTO is a, is a good friend from junior high school. And our COO is kind of our utility infielder. He does everything else. Uh, inside of the business. So the fact that our skill sets were complementary and the fact that we were friends, uh, I think really helps us uh, run companies in a different way and gives us a different perspective on, uh, on how to build a business. It's, mm-hmm. it's just been great. So what? give us a little bit of the history of what led up to Assistly. You mentioned that you've done work uh, starting other companies in the right. customer service arena. Obviously, there was some white space and a gap that you guys sort of envisioned that yeah. needed to be filled. Walk us through sort of what what was missing and what led to some of the specific new things that Assistly brings to the table. So let me give you a really quick history of the companies that we've done because I think they're relevant to the opportunity that we're pursuing at Assistly. The first company was a company called eShare Technologies, and that was a company in 1996 that was started in 1996, and it focused on providing chat and email as mechanisms for providing support. And if you mentally rewind back to 1996... That was a a pretty progressive concept. Companies were just coming online with an e-commerce front end, and chat was a very progressive way of providing support. And so we've always been on kind of that cusp of it. What are the new ways Mm -hmm. that companies are going to communicate with their customers? So that was the first company, and it was sold to a public company in 1999. In 1999, we then moved on and started another company called eAssist Global Solutions. What eAssist did is... It, it wanted to capture all of the ways that your customers communicated with you, not just chat and email because it was a silo of the overall support department. We wanted to capture all of it. So we included phone and IVR and self-service and chat and email and a unified CRM behind it. And that was a great vision. We raised $72 million. We were on the verge of going public. We serviced a lot of the larger dot-coms and then just got caught up in the, in the, you know, the crash, the bubble crash, right, and ultimately sold that company to a competitor in 2004. We then took a couple of years off and did GUI, which was an analytics, uh, widget analytics distribution company funded by Mark Cuban and it was acquired. And so while we were, it was acquired by AOL. So while we were at AOL, we spent about a year and a half there up until 2009, kind of late 2009, which is when we decided to start Assistly. We started to again think about what we wanted to do next as a team, right? That's the benefit of working with your friends and having those complementary skill sets. You can get together as a team and brainstorm what you want to do next. And so naturally looking at customer service made sense because we've got a a deep history in it. But the thing that got us really excited uh, about the opportunity was actually social media. And and let me explain why. So today, more so than ever, we as individuals are much more connected than we've ever been, right? So when you or I have a good or a bad customer experience, instead of telling 10 people at the dinner table, we can infect hundreds or thousands of people through Facebook, Twitter, blogs, Tumblr, all of these new mechanisms in which we're all connected. That puts a lot more pressure on businesses today mm-hmm. to be more responsive and not only to communicate with their customers on their kind of set ways, right? Where a business the sets the time, ways. they have to now communicate on the customers. Okay, right. That's the that's the social CRM movement, right? It's changing from a business controlling the dialogue to now a customer right. having more control of not only how the dialogue happens, but when the dialogue happens and where the dialogue happens. Right. And so that pressure is something that we wanted to help companies address. And that's why we started Assistly. So tell us about uh, your, your typical customers. What, what kind of companies, what do they look like, what kind of businesses are they in? 
So historically, in our, in our previous companies, we've provided solutions to enterprises. When we started Assistly, we very much wanted to provide these solutions to SMBs. Progressive web companies would be kind of the sweet spot, the bullseye uh, that we, in the short term, address, right? And those are companies anywhere between zero and 250, all the way up to 500 employees. These are companies that have a significant part of their customer interaction online. Uh, and so as an example, some of the companies that have signed up and are using our service to provide support are Twitter, 37 Signals, Square, Groove Shark, Squarespace. I mean, some of the, again, so more progressive. Of the very common, you know, cloud-oriented service companies and so forth. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, and there are some that, you know, I can't announce quite yet. But again, it's that kind of echelon of companies that have come on board and adopted the product. Now, below that, we've got a ton of other great smaller businesses, right? So it's not just meant for those types of companies. I think those companies help validate right. the solution. But there are a lot of other SMBs that are as small as one, two, three you know, agents or, or people providing support up to, you know, potentially hundreds. So before you came along with the Assistly product, mm -hmm. uh, what were some of these companies doing in order to handle their customer support and customer interaction needs? So it's interesting. Uh, if we start down the lower scale of the, the companies that we provide a service to, they would be using Gmail, Twitter directly to provide kind of tweet-based support. Right, with something no else. capturing of anything. Exactly. Something else for managing their website, self-service content. So it was it was kind of, you know, we have this video that, that we put together that I think you've seen. It's a funny video that in a cartoon tells our story, but it's this, you know, duct tape, whatchamacallit, right. you know, Pieces customer support strategy. kit, right? So yeah. a lot of them do that. Um, and then there are some other products, you know, kind of out in the marketplace, and we either replace this you know, fragmented environment that they've put together or some of the other products that have been around. Um, and I think what we're starting to do as we go more upmarket is displace some of the enterprise vendors, the companies that haven't adopted some of the new principles in terms of the delivery of product, in terms of the, the monthly revenue piece and being much more transparent about that. Uh, in the monthly revenue piece meaning offering it as a monthly service? Offering it as a monthly service and publishing your pricing. You would be amazed that the, the mid-market and enterprise leading providers in the customer support area don't publish their pricing. Right? Their pricing is like Coca-Cola's secret recipe because they want to get you into their sales funnel and squeeze as much blood out of that stone as possible. And I believe in fundamentally businesses shifting to this new model of self-procurement, of understanding prices clearly and being transparent about kind of that data point and about being able to much more quickly deliver a solution that delivers value instead of the 15 consultants and the year-long implementation, by the time you're done, you know, the target's moved on you. Right. Are there customers that you, that came on board that you would never have expected, you know, some sort of small business somewhere that you're like, gee, like we wouldn't have thought that they wanted to offer customers? Like is there some dry cleaner that's using Assistly <laughs> or, or some fun thing like that that you know of? Well, there's, so there's, there's no dry cleaner that I know of <laughs> using Assistly, but I, I will tell you this. We've had companies from all over the world sign up for the service. And sometimes I have no idea how they've heard about us. And they go through the procurement process and they never talk to us and they wind up putting their credit card in and they're using it for service. We have companies that, you know, I, and I, I almost feel remiss to say this, that, you know, I don't understand the what they're doing because I don't understand the language that they're doing it in. Oh, because you know, the international, it's, international it's, customers. It's, yeah. Exactly, our international customers. And, and so I go to the site to try to see what they're doing and it's very hard for me to understand. But I, I just think it's great. That's the other power 
of this kind of SaaS distributed model that I think people love, which is anyone in the world can have access to this thing. Anyone can get it up and running and anybody can start getting value from it, even if we never interact with them. So, Right. Walk us through um, the day in the life of an agent using the Assistly product. What are some of the screens and things that they're seeing? What are some of the cues that they're going through? Just just to give people a flavor of, of what it would be like to be an, on the agent side of using the Assistly product. Yeah, absolutely. So before I do that, let me let me say this. We as a company are very much focused on creating an amazing agent experience. As a matter of fact, a lot of the times that some of these companies switch over that I, t- that I talk to you about, we say, so why did you switch? What was the primary reason that you switched? And there are a couple, obviously. But the one that we keep hearing over and over and over again is, I just felt like the system was more efficient. I was using it. It was easier to use. It was more intuitive. And I was able to respond to more customers quickly. And, and that's great to hear because that is very intentional. We spend a lot of time on the workflows, minimizing clicks, doing all the things to really make people efficient and delivering this awesomely responsive support that we talk about. So a day in the life of an agent is you log into the system. The first thing that you see today in the system is a unified inbox of all of the customer support requests that you have outstanding and their statuses. And when I say unified inbox, I mean you may see some tweets, you may see some emails, some chat requests, some escalations from the community self-service. So it truly gives you this unified view of all the things you have to do. It's kind of your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start to work through those. You open it case by case or you skim the ones that you need to work on. When you open a case, you get this split screen on the left side of the screen. You have case data, the status of the case open, pending, resolved, who it's assigned to, what the priority is, some description elements, all of the things that have happened to that case and audit trail effectively. And on the right side, you get the interaction view. So that's the view in which you actually respond. So if it's an email, it looks very much like a Facebook email, so it's very familiar. One of the things that we try to do is humanize the experience. So we bring in the photo of the person that you're dealing with, and we kind of publish your photo in that interaction as well so that you know there's a human that you're talking to. It's not just ones and zeros. Um, that are on your screen, and, and that really works. A lot of our go-forward focus will go from making you awesomely responsive and efficient to in, to making it so that you really enjoy your job, right? And if you go to our site, you'll see the tagline is happy agents equal happy customers, and we fundamentally believe that. So it's first efficient and second to give you kind of a, you know, a great attitude and a great mood and make you happy in, in providing great service. Right. Neat. In my opinion, at this day and age, as you mentioned, sort of the social media trends behind customer service, um, there's a real renaissance going on here. And, uh, you know, it's very easy as just an individual to put some comment out about Bank of America and, you know, two hours later, or less for that matter, have somebody from Bank of America calling you back. I mean, this is like unbelievable to think about that a uh, a couple of years ago. Where does this go? Where does this trend from a macro perspective go? Is it, is it, does, does it just keep going and, and the, the interactions just get tighter and tighter? Or at some point, is it not sustainable and, and companies will be like, oh, well, we're only going to deal with certain... Fu- what, what's your take on how this rolls out over the next few years? It's interesting. I think we're at the point right now where it's forcing companies to be more accountable. It's connecting the consumer more directly to the organization, which mm-hmm. is overall, in my opinion, a really good thing. Right. Right. There's still too many companies that think about customer support as a department versus a philosophy. Right. And we think about it as a philosophy. And this, this empowerment of the consumer via social media, I think, is forcing more and more businesses to start to think about the philosophy 
of customer service, which, which I think is a great movement. Now, overall, how sustainable is it? Can every single person just go and shout on Facebook or on Twitter and, and, or, get, a response. and get a response? I mean, now you can almost get a response from any company if you put something out on Twitter. Yeah, I think that that's, that's only a good thing, right? I think that the smart companies will, will decrease the necessity for us to do that. Right. They'll publish better help articles because mm. at the end of the day, we all just want service, right? right? And the fastest way to get that service. It happens to be that the fastest way to get good service right now is shouting publicly. Right. But in the future, the hope is that from the learnings that these cus- the companies gather from the customers and then the understanding and the trends, better self-service will be built, better community will be built. By the way, you know, we, we kind of talk about the, the squeaky door, right, where it's mostly people complaining. But there are a lot of people saying great things about companies too. Right. Right. And so I just think that in order for it to be sustainable, companies have to embrace it today, bring that culture into the organization, learn from it, and then be more proactive in delivering a better level of support so that it's not people just going on Facebook and Twitter and and complaining. So somehow institutionalizing that knowledge, right, at scale so that the the frequently asked questions actually do answer the questions. That's right. That's right. Because I do think it'll be hard to sustain responding to every single person. Right. And that was my point is it does seem like at this moment in time, it's pretty easy to get a response. I mean, the fact that I can put out a Twitter message about Bank of America and their fees and and an hour later have somebody say, how can I how can I help you? Right. That can't last forever, in my (laughs) opinion. Um, just like all free services yeah. we enjoy on the web, I think some yeah. some of them are going to go away. But but I love the attitude. You see, the, that's the key. Yeah. I love the attitude. But I think this part about um, you know taking that and turning it into something that's sustainable, like you said, whether it's a knowledge base or the community forum, that makes a lot of sense to me. That that's ultimately where this will go, and sort of this this idea that we have of the uh, the nightmare of a of a phone menu, right, right, which which turns into hopefully a pleasant experience of the community forum or the frequently asked questions. I think that's right. Or even the product itself, while you're interacting with the product, delivers you the help that you need to get through whatever experience you're having, right? That, that won't always happen, right? You'll have a, an order that's lost and you'll need to make a call or you need to you know, go through a system to help you update or to update you on, on kind of the order. But if you're using a product and you're having challenges with the product and a company hears it over and over and over again, this is the spirit of continuous improvement, it'll help them re-engineer the product so that you don't have to ask that question next time. That's really the power of it, the feedback. It's not the complaint. It's the feedback on a part of the customer experience that broke down. And then you take that feedback if you're, again, the the progressive company and build it back into the product. That's right. Right. Neat. When you're talking with people who are considering different options, and Assistly is one of those options, what are the things that you stress to people that make Assistly different from a product perspective? So it's interesting. You said a product perspective, right? Or a company perspective. So I think that's the key, right? It's, it's all about, I believe, it, it all stems from our attitude. Our attitude that first and foremost, we are a customer-centric company. And so whenever we make any decisions, whenever we make product decisions, whenever we make pricing decisions, whenever we make support decisions, we always put ourselves in the shoes of the consumer on the other side of that interaction, right? And so the way that it translates itself, itself excuse me, in the product is, and I said this earlier, we very much focus on the end user of our product. And there are a couple, but one of the end users is the agent. And so happier agents equal happier customers, right? And so we do everything we possibly can in our product, every click, every scroll, every bit of experience to make their day better, right? And I think that that stands out. Again, this is this recurring theme that we hear from the companies that use our product. 
Um, in terms of our support, so I believe I hold ourselves to a higher standard of support than anybody else. We are instant turnaround on everything we possibly can be. And I don't think a lot of companies have taken that high road. And we as a support company have taken that high road, but we've taken it a step further. We actually have a title in the company of someone who's our VP of Customer Wow. He was our fifth employee. And his job is to make sure that our customers, our prospects, and our partners have a great experience. And that great experience goes beyond support. It goes into... You know, call it random acts of kindness, where he'll go to the websites of our prospects or our customers, and if he sees something they can be doing better with our product, with Assistly, to make them more productive or to customize the portal to look like their site for a better end customer experience, he'll do it. And he'll just send over the code and say, here you go, you know, something that I did on your behalf. That attitude, uh, I think, really helps us stand out. And then finally, in pricing, and again, this, it's all influenced by our attitude, in pricing, most companies charge by seats. Seats are basically per agent, right? But we believe in today's world, more and more people interact or should interact in the support process beyond your frontline agents, engineers, marketing people, your CEO, executive group. But every company still, most every company charges by seats. So you have to license seats for these somewhat casual users in the support process. That's friction, right? We have a unique pricing model that nobody else has that basically says, you have your frontline agents and buy that by the seat, it makes sense. But you also have these casual participants. So you can create unlimited part-time agents in our system for free. And the only time they ever pay is when they log in and use the system. We charge them an hourly fee, kind of like Amazon's elastic service, a right. dollar an hour right? right, to a dollar fifty, depending on the plan that you're on. We decrease the friction of cost and let everybody participate in the support process. And our customers love it. And so those three things, I think, are kind of the key, without getting into too much detail of the ones sure. and zeros, the key reasons why you know companies have really really enjoyed their experience with us. Neat. I think if you ask most companies, do you want to offer better customer support, the answer would be a resounding yes. Right? I mean, companies, I think there's very few companies that don't want to provide uh, support to their customers. But, but then, you know, I'm sure they're not all following through. What are the reasons that companies don't follow through on this intent from your perspective? What's the stumbling block for most people? I think historically it's been cost. Right, the fear that uh, every interaction drives a cost into the company, and what does that cost equation look like? If I think about kind of the mid '90s and 2000s when we were providing these solutions, the metrics that were used to measure support were overwhelmingly wait time, handle time, and it all translated to the cost of a support interaction. Right. And very few people, or companies, I should say, concerned themselves with things like the quality of the interaction. Mm -hmm. And so I think historically cost has been a prohibitor. Now I think that cost barrier is dropping. That cost barrier is dropping for small companies because of companies like ours and others that are providing highly scalable, powerful support solutions at a fraction of what it used to cost and delivering them in the SaaS model so they can have them up and running quickly. So that part of the friction or barrier should be dropped. The rest is really about a philosophy. You know, How do you want to interact with your customers? Some companies view a support interaction actually as a sales and marketing interaction because right. it's an opportunity for them to show their customer how passionate they are about the product or service that they're providing to the customer. Look at companies like Zappos right, and the, the support that, that um, you know, they provide to their customers. They could be selling anything. Shoes happens to be what they sell today, right. but it's their service that makes them an outstanding company. And there are many others that we you know, all can think of and they come to the top of our heads. Our hope is that because the friction for 
cost of these solutions and time to implement them is dropping dramatically because consumers now are empowered because of Twitter and social media and Facebook to infect more people. And we think that those two factors, the cost of providing support, meaning the tools, and this customer empowerment are going to start to make more and more businesses look at, is this something I can afford not to do right. versus is this something I can afford to do? Um, and that's when we all, all of us as consumers, have a better experience. Right. What, what do you think are some of the areas that, that sort of need this more than others? I mean, obviously the web, web world is an obvious early adopter case, but, but when you think about the big growth plans, what are some of the big markets or big areas where you hope to, to, to reach? Well, um, <laughs> so terrible support experiences that I've had, unfortunately, across an industry would be airlines. Mm-hmm. I, I think that airlines are the first place that uh, well, it's and it's not the tool necessarily, but it's the philosophy, right? Their philosophy has to change right. on providing better support and taking better care of their customers, especially as newer options like Virgin arise, and they yeah. do a spectacular has, job right. of that. Virgin is a totally different flying experience. Exactly, right? Exactly, and so I think that that puts the older incumbent airlines, you know, really on their heels, and they need to do something, and that something starts with a better customer interaction and a better customer experience. So I think the entire travel industry can certainly benefit from it. Um, I think a lot of the more, you know, kind of, well, let's, let's, let's take some phone companies. I won't name any in particular. Sure. But certainly some could benefit quite significantly yeah. uh, from the shift in philosophy and in, in mentality. As a matter of fact, I mean, almost any industry you can yeah. talk about that's been around for a long time can benefit in this new philosophy. I'm wondering if you look for a particular match, not only between the companies, but between the company's customers, because, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in the case with the Sicily, your solution appeals to companies whose customers are very active in social, right? The more technically savvy the customer base is, the more likely the company will benefit from your solution. So I'm wondering if you do any matchup yeah. of that when you're thinking about where to go next. Well, it's interesting. So if you think about Twitter... As a, as a support channel, which it, it has become more and more as in a communication channel, definitely much more technically advanced. Right. Uh, Twitter is mostly, if you think about it, kind of a publishing media with a small percentage of people publishing and lots of consumers. It's mostly a news media still. Right. But if you think about Facebook, 600 million users. Right. And, you know, those users may not necessarily infect hundreds of people like you can on Twitter if you have a big following or you're a celebrity or a micro-celebrity. But you can easily infect 50, you know. And it's what, 50 people who really are trusting your judgment. So it's a higher degree of uh, infection, I that's guess. Exactly. Not, not from a volume, but from right. a uh, degree of, of influence. Exactly. That's exactly right. So if you think about Facebook, and, it, and, it, and it's interesting because when we first started the company over a year ago, everyone was Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. How do we provide better support on Twitter? Now the number one feature request we get is Facebook. Hmm. How do we do a better job of communicating <laughs> with our customers on Facebook. And so if you if you take that 600 million people, now you're not talking about the, the you know the technologically elite. I mean, you're talking right. about you know lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, then I think any company can effectively benefit from from our solution. Right. You mentioned the the pricing model and the flex pricing. How easy is it for somebody to get started? What is sort of the entry level for somebody to to get up and running with Assistly? So you go to our website uh, you click free trial, and literally it's five fields that, that you fill out, and you get a 30-day free trial. Absolutely free. You can get it up and running. You can customize it. You can start to play with it and start to consume kind of your, your interactions. 
then the pricing is you know anywhere between $39 to $99 for a full-time agent depending on your set of requirements. I think you'll see a simplification from us kind of on pricing going forward. Again, it's another one of those things that we believe in continuous improvement versus delayed perfection, and we want to make the pricing clearer. And then we've got the flex model, right? So you can have part-time participants. So, I mean, effectively, you can have one full-time agent at $39 a month, and then you can have some other people in your company participating in support for a couple of dollars a month, and that gets you a world-class multi-channel support system. Right. Is there is there one common thing that you think people misunderstand about uh, Assistly or about providing this new kind of customer service that 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 you'd like to sort of share with with folks who are considering it? But you know, is there a common objection that really shouldn't be an objection that you find often? Does my question make sense. I'm trying to get a sense of you know what 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 do people sort of um, misunderstand before they even get into the whole. Uh, you know, sign up and so forth. What's what's prohibiting them from getting started? Yeah, I don't think we've run into too many of of, of of objections that are prohibitive of people getting started. Right, we're still relatively early in our growth curve, and and by being early, more of the people that come to our site are kind of the technologically advanced folks that understand they have a problem and and are looking for a solution to solve that problem. So that friction has been has been pretty pretty well reduced. I imagine as we get to greater scale. There'll be people who need to understand that they have a problem, right? It's there's kind of two constituents: people who know they have a problem and are looking for a solution, and people who don't know they have a problem and aren't necessarily looking for a solution. But we want to educate. Once we get into that latter piece, I think we're going to run into more friction of people understanding. Well, why do I need one system to integrate all this? Can I just do it through Gmail or Twitter on the lower scale? I'm talking about kind sure. of in the in the SMB scale. Um, so I think that'll be, you know, that'll take us some education to get people to understand why it's important to do it day one. Right. Uh, and why it helps you scale and be more awesomely responsive, which will get you more customers. Uh, and then at the higher end, I think it's a matter of helping people understand how easy it is to switch and that they don't have to switch everything. Right. There are companies that have an investment in a million dollar solution that's, you know, now a decade old and it's hard to transition. Sure. So it's how do we get them to try us in a department? Right, where they don't have to make this massive transition and slowly have that kind of spread through the organization, ultimately retiring that million-dollar investment they made 10 years ago, which isn't helping them be awesomely responsive. So that's, you know, that's kind of our, yeah. our goal, our vision. Great. Uh, did we miss anything? Is there any, anything that folks should watch out for in the next few months that you can give us some, some indications of? So Facebook will be something that we release. It's something that we're currently working on and have been working on with some of our partners. So that that uh, is an exciting release mm-hmm. for the company. Um, and I think you'll hear just a lot more about us, about our customers, because we haven't made an aggressive to-market push. Really, most of our growth to date has been organic, which is great. Now it's time to put a bit more fuel on that fire. So Great. Well, thanks very much for an excellent overview of the company. Really appreciate that. You bet. Thank you. Let's jump into the next couple sections of the show. Uh, We'll talk about conferences coming up. Uh, This week, in fact, is the Strata Conference, the O'Reilly Cloud Conference in Santa Clara. And uh, looking forward to that. We'll um, probably have a roundup of that uh, conference on our next show. We have a roundtable coming up hopefully in February uh, sometime. And then also in March, we've got the uh, Structure Big Data Show from the folks at GigOM. That'll be in New York City on March 23rd. So... Stay tuned for that as well. Uh, Cloud tips, where we give some tips and tricks in the cloud world to the audience. Uh, Do you want to go first, Alex? 
Sure. I, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. I, I, this may be somewhat boring, but I'll tell you this. So our company is distributed. We have an office here in San Francisco. We have an office in New York. And then we have individuals uh, all over the world, actually. Now, as a matter of fact, our, our network engineers visiting us from Australia. We have people in Toronto. And so we need tools to, to help us keep connected all the time and, and be very collaborative. And in today's world, it's amazing how great these tools are. So we use, you know, probably the things a lot of people have heard of. We use Gmail religiously, Google Docs religiously, Skype keeps us all completely connected, Dropbox for sharing larger files. But, you know, those are, you know, I'd say kind of the core applications that they keep the business running. It's, it's like the new world cloud computing suite. It is. That's it. You just package them all up together and deliver them and, and you're a business in a box. For throw in a Sicily, you got everything taken care That's of. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Great. And um, my cloud tip this week is tech validate. And uh, if, if anybody's listening to the show for a long time, they know that uh, Steve Norell from Tech Validate was a co-host early on. Tech Validate offers a way to survey and gather data for, from customers and then publish that through the independence of a Tech Validate perspective. And so for anybody who's had trouble getting customer testimonials or case studies or information uh, from customers that they wanted to share publicly, Tech Validate is a hosted service that allows you to do this in a very simple way. And it also maintains customer anonymity so that you know that, that typical barrier of, well, I'm, I'm not authorized and so forth, it lets them do it behind the scenes. Uh, we've been using it my new company, and I tell you, it, it's great, a lot of fun. Um, so if folks need some help in boosting uh, customer case study, customer testimonial, customer survey information, I would highly recommend taking a look at Tech Validate. I've been digging into it uh, significantly over the last few weeks and really impressed with, uh, with where they've uh, come from and where they are today. So that's my cloud tip for the week, techvalidate.com. Alex, where can fi- people find more information about yourself, about Assistly, web addresses, Twitter addresses, whatever uh, you want to share? Yeah, just assistly.com, A-S-S-I-S-T-L-Y.com for Assistly. Uh, and you'll find all of our contact information there. I'm just at Alex Bard on Twitter. Thanks for that. For me, you can find me at Gary Ornstein, full spelling. And thanks very much to the honest for listening. You can visit us at thecloudcomputingshow.com. You can also email us at thecloudcomputingshow at gmail.com. We have a Cloud Computing Show Twitter address, which is Cloud Show for short. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes. You can do a search in the podcast directory for The Cloud Computing Show, and we should come up. Or you can just go to thecloudcomputingshow.com. Click the link on the top right of our homepage there, and it will take you directly into the iTunes store. That's a wrap. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, everybody. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.